We meet today in Song of Songs, chapter 4, verse 1 to verse 16. Now this entire chapter, except the last verse, is the song of the bridegroom. It expresses Solomon's love for this girl whom he had met up in the hill country of Ephraim and brought her to town, as it were. I suppose that she wore shoes for the first time. Now she is wearing lovely dresses and she sits at the table of Solomon. What a privilege she had, and she was rejoicing in it. As we read this chapter, we should see that the Spirit of God is trying to show us Christ's love for us. It is expressed through this very wonderful and personal relationship. It shows to us the love of Christ for the church and his love for the individual believer, his love for you. This is the love song of the bridegroom or the love song of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who is singing this song. It is obvious that he speaks to the church when he says, You are all fair, my love, and there is no spot in you. This is Christ speaking of the church, and he also speaks of the individual believer. He is speaking to you and me. Does that mean then that we are going to have to become perfect? That is not the point. In Ephesians, Paul says, Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. Ephesians 5 verse 25 and 26. You see what has happened? He has already cleansed us by the blood through his sacrifice. We have the forgiveness of sin so that there is no charge brought against you and me. But he is going to sanctify us and cleanse us by the washing of the word of God. Ephesians 5 verse 27 says that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having a spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. You see, he will be the one who will make the church of Jesus Christ without spot or wrinkle. We will be seen not in ourselves, but in Christ. Now he can look at the church and say, You are all fair, my love, and there is no spot in you. Why? Because he removed the spot from the church and from each believer by his own blood. Here is Song of Songs, chapter 4. Verse 1 to verse 5. Behold, you are fair, my love. Behold, you are fair. You have dove's eyes behind your veil. Your hair is like a flock of goats going down from Mount Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of shorn sheep which have come up from the washing, every one of which bears twins and none is barren among them. Your lips are like a strand of scarlet, and your mouth is lovely. Your temples behind your veil are like a piece of pomegranate. Your neck is like the Tower of David, built for an armory, on which hung a thousand bucklers, all shields of mighty men. Your two breasts are like two fowls, twins of a gazelle, which feed among 
the lilies. Wow. Now these words of deepest adoration and affection spoken to the Shulamite from the lips of Solomon on their wedding night, these are amazing words. They portray a picture square, yet pure and chaste. We find here a very minute description of this girl. It describes the parts of her body. Eight parts of the Shulamite's body are praised here. Three times she is told that she is fair or beautiful. And even the picture of the dove is brought in. And the dove is a traditional symbol of purity and innocence. Thus, he is saying, you are pure, you are innocent. The gods in Syria are mostly black with long, silky hair. And thus the metaphor creates a beautiful scene here. In verse 2, her teeth are likened to the sheep, emphasizing their smooth and white appearance, glistening with saliva and evenly matched without any missing, you see. Thus you, you have this word saying, none is barren among them. The simile likening her neck to the Tower of David is a reference to her erect and queenly bearing, and the shields probably describe the jewelry which adorns her neck. The description of her breasts speaks of their softness and attractiveness for gentle caresses. Now, there are two extreme viewpoints of marriage. One is that which emphasizes uh, sex. The other is that there is no emphasis put on sex, that marriage is such a high holy estate that sex doesn't enter into it at all. But when the emphasis is placed completely on sex, then the relationship becomes more like that between two animals. My friend, true marriage lies between these two extreme viewpoints. When the bridegroom holds the bride in his arms, their love, their physical love is consummated. I'm also very sure that every young fellow has looked into the eyes of some girl and they have told her what beautiful eyes she has. This is what Solomon did. Actually, when I met my wife, oh, how I loved to simply look into her eyes. And that is how I got to know her better as we talked face to face. This reveals to us also that the Lord Jesus not only loves us, but the Lord Jesus knows us. He wants to know us. We need to quit kidding ourselves. We need to stop kidding ourselves because we are not fooling him at all. This means that we can go to him and tell him everything. There is no use in trying to cover up anything. No use in trying to use hidden languages or even to, in trying to beat around the bush, we can tell him everything that we have on our hearts. We can tell him all about our weaknesses, about our sin, all about the things that are in our hearts and are in our lives. That is the way to deal with them. Just like a young man and a young woman 
will sit there and look into each other's eyes and they tell each other about everything. And as they get to know one another, they grow more intimate in their relationship. The same is true for you and, and the Lord. You can never grow an intimate relationship with the Lord until you are prepared to look into his eyes and confess your sins while he looks into your eyes and telling you what you need to do. My friend, do you have an inferior complex? Then I want to tell you what you should do. Tell the Lord Jesus about it. He is the only one who has an answer for that. He is the only one. He can help you. Don't just run to the psychologist because the psychologist may not necessarily help you. All that the psychologist can do is sift an inferiority complex from one place in the personality to the other. The only place where anyone finds a solution in the cross of Christ. I believe that is where people should go with their complexes. Augustine said that our hearts are restless, my friend, until we come to the Lord. Paul wrote, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Philippians 4 verse 13. Maybe you don't even need to get rid of, in, of your inferiority complex. It may help you to find your strength in him. It may keep you from being a proud, arrogant Christian. It may help you to give all glory to the Lord. Do you have a bad habit which you would like to change? Then go to Christ and confess it. He is rich in mercy. And I think that for years I must have gone to him two or three hundred times to tell him about something. He was rich in mercy to me, which means he has a whole lot of it. Although I failed again and again, I kept going back in repentance. You see, he welcomes a repenting sinner. It was wonderful to go to him. Do you know what happened? When the time came, he gave me the victory in his own way. And our Lord Jesus Christ moves in a mysterious way. And he wants us to go to him. And he will perform wondrous things in our lives. He doesn't follow our rules, he doesn't follow my rules, he doesn't follow your rules. He does it through his own way. He doesn't do it through some gimmicks which many people have worked out. We see a lot happening sometimes in the public meetings, particularly the telecast uh, meetings we see in the name of the Lord. Christ helps in his own time, in his own way. May I say to you, he knows us ultimately. He knows every tiny detail of our lives. We should never be afraid to go to him and tell him everything. Look to him and look into his eyes. Until the day breaks and the shadows flee away, I will go my way to the mountains of myrrh and to the hill of frankincense. Song of Songs 4 verse 6. Now this is the place where we need to go for the solution of our problems. Going to the Lord. The mountain of myrrh is symbolic of the cross of Christ because myrrh speaks of his death. That is where you find comfort and salvation and help and hope. The hill of frankincense refers to his life, but not simply his earthly life. 
Actually, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 16, Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Now we know him as the glorified Christ. So the solution to your problem is in knowing Christ. Philippians 2 verse 5, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. That, my friend, is the reason that I keep saying the answer is in the word of God. It is ignorance of his word that causes people to search elsewhere for answers. It makes a person vulnerable to false teachers who tread on and take advantage of those who are ignorant of the word of God. But it is through the word of God that we get acquainted with Jesus Christ and learn to sit at that round table in the banqueting hall which we have seen here in the Song of Solomon. There we can feast with him and find satisfaction and joy in him. You and I do not realize how much he really loves us. Listen to him. Listen to what he says. Song of Songs, verse 9 to verse 10. You have ravished my heart, my sister, my spouse. You have ravished my heart, my sister, my spouse. You have ravished my heart with one look of your eyes, with one link of your necklace. How fair is your love, my sister, my spouse. How much better than wine is your love and the scent of your perfumes than all spices. Solomon on five occasions refers to the Shulamite as his sister. Actually, in chapter 4, verse 9 and verse 10 and verse 12, then chapter 5, verse 1 and verse 2. Now, this was an affectionate term for one's wife found in the ancient Near East love poetry, and it emphasized closeness in the relationship. So the bride speaking of the bride typifies the Lord Jesus here, speaking of believers, those who are his. This is how much he loves us today. Oh, it would break your heart and mine if we knew how much he loved us. He loves us even now. Only the Spirit of God can make this love real to us. Some people write out a little motto and stick it on their a car bumper, and then drive around with it. It says, Jesus loves you. I wonder how do you know he loves you? Have you experienced that love yourself? Is it the love of Jesus which is simply on the bumper sticker? Are you conscious of his love right now? Oh, my friend, he loves you. Fall in love with him. He even speaks of a relationship that is that close as your sister. Now the bride speaks. The bride speaks in Song of Songs, chapter 4, verse 16. Awake, O north wind, and come, O south. Blow upon my garden, that its spices may flow out. Let my beloved come to his garden, and eat its pleasant fruit. This is the only time when the bride speaks in this chapter, responding to the whole song that the bridegroom had been singing to her. Now remember that the Lord Jesus taught his disciples in the upper room in that wonderful discourse that 
is found in John 13 all the way to 17. In the midst of it, in John 14, we find that the Lord Jesus is interrupted again and again by the disciples asking him questions. The last one to interrupt him was Judas. Uh, and this is not Judas Iscariot. And have you noticed the question which he asked the Lord? John 14 verse 22 says, Judas said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? He is saying in effect, Lord, it is wonderful to be here. You are revealing these wonderful truths about yourself to us. But what about the world outside? Isn't that amazing? You see, now the bride is getting the message. And so she says, Oh, north wind, that north wind is cold, and it may cause the bride to get very cold. But awake, oh, north wind. Why? This spice, this wonderful fragrance might be blown out to the others and that they might also enjoy it. That is the picture that we have here. Actually, Dr. Ironside is, he says, it indicates her yearning desire to be all that he would have her to be. So the north wind, he continues, is that cold, bitter, biting, wintry blast. Naturally, she would shrink from that as we all would, and yet the cold wind is as necessary as the warmth of summer if there is going to be perfection in fruit bearing. You see, it takes the cold to bring out the flavor of the apples, and it is so with our lives, my friend. We need the north wind of adversity and trials as the Zephyrs of the south so agreeable to our natures. The very things we shrink from are the experiences that will work in us to produce the peaceable fruit of righteousness. If everything were easy and soft and beautiful in our lives, they would be insipid. There would be so little in them for God that would delight his heart. And so there must be the north wind as well as the south wind. Time of adversity and also time of refreshments and easy. It is this kind of life that the Lord Jesus uses to reach the world. He has not forgotten the world. And so when the cold wind has come, it, the cold wind takes us out of our comfort zones so that we can go and share the good news with the world. The bride says to her beloved, let my beloved come to his garden and eat its pleasant fruits. The Shulamite testfully, poetically, and directly invites her lover to come and fully possess her in intimate love-making. She is available and willing for him to enjoy her as one who'd enjoy the choice fruits of the garden. Well, this too is an invitation Christ will accept. My friend, if you will accept Christ and say to him, Come, my beloved, to your garden and eat its pleasant fruit, he will respond to that invitation, my friend. Remember that in that upper room, the Lord Jesus said to his questioning disciples, If anyone loves me, 
he will keep my word, and my father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. John 14 verse 23. He is already willing to come into your life. He is already willing. He only waits your invitation. Remember, he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and dine with him and he with me. Why are you waiting? Invite your beloved, the King of Glory. You can have copies of the notes and outlines used for these Living Word for Africa programs so you can follow them as you listen. For your copies, please send an email to info at twrafrica.org. Please say which book of the Bible you want them for and be sure to include your name and contact information. Let me repeat that email address for you. Info at twrafrica.org.